Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for October 28th is Luke chapter 16 and verses 1 through 10 of Luke 17. Jesus tells the parable of the unrighteous manager. Imagine being a rich person, having somebody keep care of your accounts, like a bookkeeper almost, uh, like a bookkeeper or maybe a money manager, and finding out that this person was not being honest. Maybe they were embezzling. And so you call that person in and say, it's time that you tell me what's been going on. You're fired. And so this person who's been stealing, who's been being dishonest, doesn't want to go and do blue-collar work. They don't want to work in a field. They don't want to dig ditches. And they know after this nobody else is going to hire them because they're not trustworthy. So what are they going to do? They decide to go and make friends. And so they go to the account owners, the people who are in debt to their master, to you, their employer. And they say, you owed a hundred measures of olive oil. Let's change that to 50. You owed a hundred measures of wheat. Let's change that to 80. And so this person used their position of authority to make friends. They weren't dependent upon Jesus to fix all of their problems because they didn't believe in Jesus and they certainly weren't walking with him. You as the master, as infuriated as you might be, would have to respect the wisdom of this money manager of yours because of how smart they were. They were looking out for themselves. How often do we as believers think about unrighteous business people? Wow, that was smart. I mean, it was wrong, but it was smart. Jesus says, the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. Perhaps unbelievers are more wise when it comes to providing for themselves because they're not expecting God to meet their every need. So they take action. They depend upon themselves. Believers should perhaps consider following this example of taking action in regard to thinking and acting. This unrighteous manager took the time to think about his situation and come up with a plan and then he acted on it. God is looking for people to think and act. And of course, ultimately, ideally, he wants us to think and act with him, to listen to him. God, what would you have me to do in this situation? Christians too often think that God just wants us to obey him like servants. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. He wants us to be in a symbiotic, mutually beneficial relationship with him, doing things with him rather than just waiting for marching orders. Our little children in our families wait for orders, but as they grow, they begin acting on their own because they understand what it takes to get the job done. They know what needs to be done. If my 26-year-old son called me every day and said, Dad, what do you want me to do today? I'd say, we have a problem. I must not have taught you how to be a man. It's the same way in the kingdom. God wants us to grow up and to take action. And of course, to walk 
in a manner worthy that's not grieving the Holy Spirit, but certainly not to always act as mere slaves or servants. That word translated shrewd in verse 8 is the same word used in Luke 12, 42, when Jesus said, Who then is the wise servant whom his master will put in charge when he returns? It's the same word. We think of shrewd like it's a bad thing, but it can also be translated as wise, street smart, practically wise. God is expecting us to grow up and to not have a disadvantage over unbelievers because they think more than we do, or they're smarter than we are. It shouldn't be this way. We have the advantage of having God on our side, but that's only an advantage if we ask of him, if we learn from him, and we apply what it is he's teaching us. This is why in Luke 16.10, Jesus takes that parable of the unrighteous manager and then transitions into a conversation about good stewardship. Whoever is faithful in very little is also is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. If you're not faithful with this physical world and what God has given you charge of, then how can he entrust you with spiritual things that are so much more valuable. This world is a practice ground in some ways, but in other ways it's a proving ground. It exposes our weaknesses. It exposes the areas that we need to grow in, the areas that we need to repent in, the areas that we need God's character to be developed in us. You cannot serve God and money. We know that. But in the same way, God is going to raise up people who are blessed financially and in this physical realm because they steward it well for good purposes. They bless people. They meet the needs of those around them. If you'll be a good steward in the physical realm, God can trust you with the spiritual realm. If you'll give away your natural resources, your money, your extra clothing, the things that you have been blessed with but you don't need to keep, and you'll show that to God in this, in the here and now. He will bless you with more awareness, with revelation. He will open your eyes to deeper spiritual truths. And then you'll be able to steward in the same way the spiritual that you have the physical. If you'd like to level up in the kingdom of God, give away what you have. The Pharisees, those religious leaders, were listening to him say all of those things, and they scoffed at him. They rejected what he was saying. Jesus said, the things that people value are things that are revolting to God, in verse 15. The law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed. And everyone is forcing his way into it, taking by force. Remember when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by force in Luke 11? It's the same word. It's not something you coast into. It takes a conscious decision. We don't just drift into the kingdom of heaven. We have to pick up our cross and 
choose to die on it on a daily basis. Every day, God, what would you have me to do? God, what should I repent of? God, what should I give away? Father, what do you want me to lay down? What dreams am I holding on to that are impeding my spiritual growth? Father, what are the expectations? What are my idols? What are the things that I worship that I want that I'm I'm going to this church and I'm praying these prayers in hopes and expectation that you're going to give me? And ultimately, if God doesn't give you that thing, what is it that you want most? If he doesn't give it to you, will you still trust him? If God took your children and your riches and even put enmity even put enmity between you and your spouse like he did to Job, would you still trust him? Would you say like Job did, even though he slay me, yet will I serve him? Like Peter said, where else would we go? Jesus, you have the words of life. Are you willing to count the cost like the man who bought the treasure, like the one who bought the field with treasure? It cost him everything. What could God take away from you that would cause you to stop trusting him? That's an idol. The kingdom of heaven is taken by force. It would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little dot of an eye to pass away from the law of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. It's going to happen. The Lord Jesus is returning and everything in this world will melt. The sun and the moon and the stars and the earth itself will melt. The physical realm will cease to exist the law of God will remain. When everything else ceases to exist and we are left with nothing but our souls, we won't have coping mechanisms any longer. We won't have distractions. It'll just be us with our thoughts standing before a righteous judge who gave us a law and beckoned us to come and sup with him, who beckoned us to come and dine with him, to fellowship with him, to abide in him. And on that day, we're going to say, I'm sorry, Father, I was... And on that day, are you going to say, I'm sorry, God, I had too many emails to answer? There was a rich man, Jesus said, who had the finest clothes and the best food, and he had lavish feasts every day. He could have whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And outside the gate of his property, there was a man who was so poor that he would beg. And outside the gate of the property, there was a man who was so poor, he longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. He was wounded and filthy, and the dogs of the street came and licked his wounds. And eventually, both of these men died. And the poor man, the beggar, the sick man who lived on the street, went to paradise with Abraham. And the rich man was spending, and the rich man was in torment in the place of the dead. And he looks up and he sees Abraham and that poor beggar who had been outside of his property gate. Father Abraham, the rich man cries. Send that poor beggar to serve me in hell. 
send him to ease my suffering, have him dip his finger in water and let me get a drop of water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame down here. Abraham's response, son, you had lots of good things in your life and you hoarded them. You spent it all on yourself and this man had nothing but bad things and now he's receiving his reward. He's being comforted after a life of misery and you, you had a life of splendor. Even if I wanted to help you, there's a chasm between us and there's no crossing it. The rich man finally understanding that it's greater. It it seems like the rich man is having an epiphany and he says, well, if he can't help me, at least let him go back to my father's house and warn my brothers. Surely if someone rose from the dead, they would believe, they would have a change of heart and they wouldn't wind up here suffering like I am. Abraham's response is astounding. It's shocking what he says. If those people won't listen to the law of Moses, if they won't listen to the prophets, if they don't believe this, it won't matter if somebody comes back from the dead. If they don't believe the word of God spoken from people who died thousands of years ago, you think somebody who died in the last six months is going to change anything for them? They would not be persuaded even if somebody rose from the dead. That is shocking to me, but it's so true. It exposes that we all get what we want. We either want to be transformed into the image of God and we embrace it. We lean into the storm saying, yes, God, change me. Make me like you. Thank you for exposing my selfishness. Change me so I'm not so selfish any longer. Or we do as the world does and says, you religious people, that's great. Taking it too far. Taking it too far. God understands. He wants us to be happy. It's not for everyone. It's a very exclusive club. This narrow path that he has set forth for those who will forsake everything and take up their cross and follow him. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, talk about the importance of forgiveness, forgiving one another over and over and over again, as long as that person asks for forgiveness. Then verses 5 and 6, the apostles are quite astounded by that. And they say, Father, they say, they're astounded by that. And they say, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you have just a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry or sycamore tree, be cast into the sea. A tree refers to a believer a lot of times, a child of God. And to be cast into the sea is akin to being removed from the land, the people of God, and put back into the world. So we have a picture here of being a judge where the children of God are to judge and inspect the fruit of one another. We are not to convict the world of sin. That's not our job. We are not the Holy Spirit. But we are to inspect fruit. We are to judge other believers. If somebody says they are one of us, we are to look at what they do and see if it actually fits. And if it doesn't, we are to cast them back into the sea of humanity and say, you're not one of us. Maybe it's in the spirit. Maybe it's to that person's face. Pray about it. 
use discernment and do what God is calling you to do. And then that next paragraph, verses 7 through 10, is all about humility. When you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants, we are only doing our duty. So forgive, judge righteously, and remain humble are the messages that Jesus gives us in these first three paragraphs of Luke 17. May God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow. For those of you who are interested in supporting the work of the Bible in order, I love doing this, friends. It is such an honor, and it does take a lot of time to do this seven days a week. God's called me to do it, and it's such an honor. It's a joy. We are now in all 50 states being listened to, at least somewhat regularly, and in 60 countries all around the world. Nearly 2,000 people a day on average for the past month have been tuning in. It's amazing. It's astounding to me, and it's so humbling. If you'd like to support the work and allow it to keep going, I would be grateful for the opportunity to serve you in the capacity of a trusted real estate advisor. I am listing homes and helping buyers in Southwest Florida. I'm also licensed in North and South Carolina, affiliated with Call It Closed International Realty in all three. I have a team of agents in 16 states currently, and we are expanding. But if you are a real estate professional and you're interested in joining us in one of the 16 states where we are already serving, or if you'd like to open up new territory for us, let's jump on a discovery call and see if we could work together. And if you're interested in buying or selling a home, you can reach me at agentdaviddoty.com. Thank you so much for your consideration.